Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So around here in our, in, our, in our church plant, in our growing church community, like one of the things that we care deeply about uh, is living our lives on mission, right? Like we care deeply about living our lives on mission. In other words, like our goal as a young church, our goal as a church community is not just to know God, not to just know things about him, but to make him known. Right? That's what a life on mission is. It's not just about knowing God, but it's about making him known. And so as, as people who have received the gracious love of Jesus, like we want to share that love with others. We want to share the grace we've received. We want to share the love that we've received. And so one of the primary ways that we do that the prim- one of the primary ways that we show grace and love and peace towards others is, is through having this posture of what we call hospitality, right? It's through having this posture of hospitality. It's about being intentionally, like, others-oriented. You see, if we're, like, really others-oriented as people, If we're really others-oriented as a church because we follow Jesus, who happens to be the most others-oriented human who's ever walked the planet, right? Like, if we are really others-oriented, then hospitality towards others will define our lives. It'll define our church. Hospitality towards others, those that are on the margins, those that are different than us, those that we don't know, those that are outsiders and strangers, like showing hospitality towards them, being others-oriented to show love and grace and peace towards them, that should define our lives. You know what hospitality is? Like like when you you think of the word hospitality, like what normally comes to your mind? Right, like maybe like, Rachel Ray, right? Martha Stewart, cleaning, cooking, setting the table, coordinating your colors in your home, but only after you check Pinterest first, right? But, like, that's not hospitality. Like, that's, that's what we call entertaining, right? Like, entertaining is usually about, like, impressing people, right? Hospitality, though, is about, is about loving people. Now, sometimes good hospitality includes entertaining, Right? Sometimes hospitality and entertainment go together, but sometimes it doesn't. Like true hospitality can be just as meaningful with like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich than with like a nice cut of steak, right? 
Uh, my brother-in-law, who's practically a hunter, might disagree with that. Uh, but, but true hospitality can, can be just as meaningful with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich than um, with a nice cut of, of prime rib. And that's because true hospitality is, is, is not about entertaining people. It's actually about being truly present. It's about being truly available, especially to those who are different than us. It's about inviting people into the mess of our lives, allowing them to maybe make a bigger mess if they have to, and just saying, hey, it's okay, we'll just clean it up later, right? Like, the point isn't to impress others with hospitality. The point is just to, to, to be together. The point is pursuing love and grace uh, with someone else. And so what we're going to be unpacking is this passage in Luke 19 that we read this morning. Uh, in Luke 19, we see actually this really clear picture of true hospitality in the heart of Jesus. Now, Jesus is going to someone else's house, but the one that has a heart of hospitality in this passage is Jesus, as we'll see. Because Zacchaeus, the one that Jesus was, was, was talking to, Zacchaeus, he was a stranger, and he was an outsider to the nth degree, right? Yet Jesus invited him into his life. And so we're going to unpack this topic of hospitality by looking at three questions in Luke 19. Uh, three questions. The first question is, who is hospitality for? Uh, next, when and where is hospitality done? And uh, lastly, like, why do we need it? What is the big why of hospitality? So first, who is hospitality for? Who is hospitality for? Read Luke 19, beginning in verse 1 with me. Speaking of Jesus here, it says that he entered Jericho, this region, and he was passing through it. And behold, there was this man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he, Zacchaeus, was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. And so other than Jesus, the other central character in this passage is this man named Zacchaeus. And as we read, like Zacchaeus is sort of this hobbit-sized dude that like collects taxes. It says he's a chief tax collector, right? And so he's the one being invited to share life with Jesus. He's the one that Jesus is pursuing, the one that Jesus dines with, the one that Jesus extends grace and hospitality to. And so that begs the question for us, who's this Zacchaeus character? What's the deal with Zacchaeus? Who is he? And again, we're told that Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. So he wasn't just a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. Now, if you have any background in the Bible, like if you grew up in church, you know that tax collectors are some of the least likable dudes, right? Some of the least likable people were tax collectors. These were guys that were totally hated in their days. The guys that would go around collecting taxes on behalf of the government were totally hated in their day. Uh, I mean, they're not exactly like loved in ours, right? But, but back then, like, these guys were not just the people who collected taxes. Like, they, they did so, like, immorally. Like, like in Jesus' day, a, da- a tax collector was a Jew who basically like backstabbed all the other Jews by working for the oppressive Roman government who was ruling over them. And so what would happen is on behalf of Rome, 
the government in charge. Like these Jews would go around, these tax collectors would go around town and collect tax after tax after tax from any other Jew who had a pulse, right? And so the way that tax collectors, they made a profit for themselves was by overtaxing people, by charging more than they were supposed to. Uh, Like that's how they made money for themselves. And a lot of them just did that to an extreme. And so that's why these were like really unlikable men. And so like, imagine it like this. Like, earlier this year, uh, I was in the Denver, Boulder, Colorado area for this, for this trip, uh, and I stayed an extra few days to preach at a buddy's church out there. And I noticed, like, this was in January, so it was, like, snow everywhere, right? Like, I noticed that as we're driving around that we kept getting stuck behind these, these police, police cars, these huge, like, SUV parking police vehicles, we kept getting stopped like behind them over and over again. And, and after a while, I noticed that we, they would just stop in the middle of the road and these little like meter maids basically, right? Like these police meter maids would jump out and write tickets like left and right um, just everywhere on every street. And so I realized in that moment, man, like Denver parking police are like next level intense, right? Like we don't see that around here. Here in, in the OC suburbs, we don't really deal with intense parking limits, right? Like even where we do have them, like in beach cities, right? Like even where we do have them, like our, our, our parking police, they just ride like these small little bikes, maybe these little golf buddy, buggies, kind of like that rabbit in Zootopia, right? Like we see those like all over Laguna Beach. But out there in the Denver area, like you've got these full on like four wheel drive, these snow plowing SUVs that would just stop wherever they want in the middle of the road to hand out these parking fines. All right. Like it was a big deal there. And so now imagine, if you will, that we had these SUV kind of like parking police out here, these ESV sort of glorified meter maids, right? And imagine that we had this like really oppressive government, all right? Now, I'm not trying to make any political statements here, like whether you're left wing, right wing, amputated, like no wing, like there's no political statement trying to be made here. Like wherever it is that you land on that spectrum, I don't care where it is, just imagine the situation where some of the freedoms and some of the liberties that you enjoy right now have been taken away from you, right? Taken away from you because of the government, right? Like that's the situation going on in their day. And so, um, one of the ways, imagine that the government would further oppress and further control you is through charging you like these outrageous parking fines, like all the time. And so, what they would do is they would actually recruit a few locals from South Orange County. Imagine they recruit one of your neighbors one of your coworkers maybe, and they give him like this nice house on the corner, the keys to this fancy lifted SUV, along with the freedom to drive around and leave outrageous parking tickets on any vehicle that they want. Whether your parking meter was out or not, right? They just allowed them to do it to whoever they want. And these guys would always overcharge you because the more money they charge you, the more money they make for themselves. And so you might get charged more just based on how you look, because you dress the wrong way, because they, you drive, drive the wrong kind of car, or just because they don't like you, right? Like, so I don't think it's a stretch to say that for a person like that, like if you knew a person like that, that they would be kind of disliked, right? Like, you'd avoid a person like that at all costs. You see, that's who Zacchaeus was. Zacchaeus was that kind of dude. 
He was that kind of guy. He was a chief tax collector. He was like the ones oppressing the most. And so he was a Jew hired by the Romans, corruptly ripping off his own people by committing extortion against them in order to fund an already oppressive government and make himself rich in the process. Our passage says that he was tax collector and he was rich. So he was ripping off lots of people, like Zacchaeus is that guy. He's got tons of money, tons of perks, tons of privilege, but no friends. His name, Zacchaeus, literally means righteous man, which everyone would have thought was like painfully ironic, right? It's like in high school, like the biggest, stockiest dude on the football team, you always call him what? Tiny, right? You always call him Tiny. Like Zacchaeus' parents probably gave him his name, hoping that he'd grow up to be this godly and, and righteous dude, make them proud one day. But if they were alive, they were likely ashamed of the man that he had become. A chief tax collector? How could you do that to your own people? And so in, like, in Jesus' day, you, you avoid a guy like that. You avoid a tax collector. You especially avoid a chief tax collector. And yet here's what Jesus does. He sees Zacchaeus from a distance. He sees Zacchaeus from a distance and he initiates relationship with him. Verse 4 says that he, Zacchaeus, ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see Jesus, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. Come down here and be with me. You see, the word hospitality, the actual word hospitality is not in this passage, but it's demonstrated by Jesus like all throughout. Remember, Hospitality is about de demonstrating the love of God to strangers. And if there's a stranger in this passage, it's Zacchaeus, right? He was a stranger to society. He was a guy on the margins. He was hated. But he was also a stranger to, to Jesus. He didn't know who Jesus was. He had to climb up to see what the commotion was all about. And yet Jesus responds to this stranger by calling out his name. By loving on him, Jesus loves Zacchaeus into the church. He loves Zacchaeus into new faith. He loves Zacchaeus into new life. Did Jesus look at Zacchaeus and did, did, did he see a sinner the way that everyone else did? Yeah. He totally did. Like, as the book of Romans tells us, all have sinned and fall, and fall short of the glory of God. Jesus knew this man, that that was true about this man. Jesus knew that this man was a sinner. He knew what kind of sinner this man was. But he also, he also saw the image of God in this man. He saw dignity worth reaching out to in this man. He saw in Zacchaeus a hurting man who needed salvation. Jesus saw the broken image of God that needed to be restored. And so he pursues Zacchaeus. He calls out to him. You, you, you know what sets Christianity apart from, from other world religions? You see, the morality of other world religions says... Clean yourself up, 
Get your act together before you, you join us. Do these things and then you can be one of us, right? Even postmoderns will say, unless you're as tolerant as we are, then we will not tolerate you. But Jesus loves people before they do any good. He initiates before they believe. You don't have to believe to belong at the table that Jesus sits at, to dine with Jesus. As I love this quote from, from Anne Lamott, the uh, writer and author. She says, you know, you can be sure that you've created God in your own image when God hates all the same people that you do. You see, we, like, we love to draw lines. We love to, to say, I'm on the inside. Those people are on the out crowd, right? Like, I'm going to stay safe in my bubble over here, and these people better stay over there. Like, that's what my God would want, right? But, but, but as she points out, as Anne Lamont points out, like when you've created, uh, when, you, when, you, when, when the God that you, that you believe in uh, conveniently hates all the same people that you do, then you just create a God in your own image, You see, that is the scandal of Jesus. He welcomes sinners and he eats with them. He looks at Zacchaeus and he sees potential for greatness. He sees potential for beauty, potential for this man to be used for the kingdom. What he sees in Zacchaeus is a life that can be transformed and altered by the power of his divine grace. You see, the calling of Zacchaeus is all about grace grace, the grace of Jesus, the hospitality of Jesus. You see, this is who hospitality is for, for men like Zacchaeus. Hospitality is for broken sinners that are in need of of grace. In other words, hospitality is is for everyone because we're all sinners in need of grace. Hospitality should be extended to everyone, especially to the outsider. That leads us to our next point. When and where should hospitality be done? When and where is hospitality needed? When and where is it done? Look at verse 5 with me. It says that when Jesus came to the place that Zacchaeus was at, when he came to that place, he looked up into the tree and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. Hurry, come down. I want to I wanna be with you. I want to make myself available to you. I want to eat with you. You see, Jesus calls Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, to dine with him. This guy, he was never on anybody's guest list, right? A guy like him was never on anybody's guest list, yet Jesus says to him, hey, put me on yours. I'll come to your house tonight. Everyone's crowded around Jesus, begging for for more time with him. They want to see who he is. They want to see what he's about. And Zacchaeus sees this man who's broken in need of grace, singles him out and says, hey, I'm going to be with you tonight. You see, that's the when and where of hospitality. The when and where is any time and any place. Any time and anywhere. That's where Jesus shows hospitality. You see, Jesus was on his way from one place to the next, yet he stops and pursues this man. Here we see a great picture of what it means that when we say that Jesus came down to earth, he took on human flesh, he stepped into our mess. We see a picture of that, a small picture of that in this passage. 
in Jesus, God brought his kingdom not to the elite, but to the lowly, not to the proud and self-righteous, but to the humble who needed his righteousness. He brought his kingdom to sinners, sinners in need of grace. You see, in some of the people with Jesus, some of his followers there, they were were kind of grumbling in the background. They see Jesus talking to Zacchaeus, saying he's going to eat with him, and they start grumbling. Like, they they, they didn't like that. Because they're following around. They're following Jesus around thinking, like, hey, could this be the Messiah? Could this be the king that we've been waiting for? We've been oppressed by these people for so long. Could this be the guy to save us? I mean, he's filling up synagogues, religious houses all over Galilee, and people are flocking to hear him. They're flocking to Galilee. They're flocking to Jericho to hear uh, about this, this Jesus guy, to meet him. But here, a group of them are just perplexed because they expected that when the Messiah would come, when the Redeemer would come, they expected that he would come with like great power, this great power, the kind of power that would restore God's order, that would destroy rebel sinners, that would destroy guys like Zacchaeus. And that's why we see them grumbling in verse 7 when it says, when, when they saw it, when some of these followers saw this scene, they all grumbled. They said, he, Jesus, has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. What gives? (laughs) Right? Like, like what's the deal with with that? But Jesus doesn't satisfy their judginess. Like, he he came not only in power, but also in, in love. In fact, his power is defined by his love. When we think of power, we think power is defined by its, the level of its, of its force. But for Jesus, his power is defined by his love, defined by his grace. Now, we can't miss the importance of Jesus sharing a meal with this man. We can't, we can't miss the importance of Jesus saying, I'm going to share a meal with you. I'm going to dine with you tonight, even though you're a chief tax collector. You see, a meal... A meal in this culture, in this time, a meal sort of defined social boundaries. It told you who is approved and who is not. Like, you wouldn't have share a meal with somebody who wasn't approved by, like, the culture or who wasn't approved by your insider culture. Sharing a meal was an intimate thing because back then when you share a meal, it was, meant that you share a bowl with somebody. Everybody would, would stick their hands in the same bowl of food together and pass it around. Like everyone double dipped and no one cared. Sharing a meal said, look, I, I accept you. I accept you in the messiness. You see, dinner etiquette for Jesus means inviting sinners to the table. It means accepting the unacceptable. Like, that's what hospitality is. That's what's at the heart of hospitality. So Jesus shows up and he says, look, I, the Messiah, the true Messiah, like I eat with with sinners. And that's what ticked off these grumblers because they had their righteous list of, you know, we do this and we don't do that and Zacchaeus doesn't fit that mold. And so they felt like, look, we should have earned our ticket to the table, but Jesus destroys their whole way of thinking. He turns it on, their, on its head by eating with sinners who have done nothing to be accepted by the in crowd and who especially have done nothing to be accepted by God. 
You see, that is the heart of hospitality. It's about inviting those who don't expect an invitation. You see, grumblers, the grumblers believe that to be truly life, like to be truly righteous, you need to avoid all contact with sin. You need to avoid sinners, you need to avoid the sick, you need to avoid the marginalized, the morally loose, you need to separate yourselves from them. But but Jesus' attitude towards sin was to invite, to actually step in it and to ask, how can this be made new? How can what's broken here be restored? How do I get into that and transform it? You see, the grumblers looked down on sinners, but Jesus looked for them. He seeks the tax collectors. He he breaks into their lives and he shares a meal with them. You see, Jesus loves people not because they're perfect and not even because they will be perfect, but because simply they're made in the image of God. It's not dependent on their performance or even their future performance. And we know that because one of his inner circle disciples will eventually betray him. And he showed that man the peak of hospitality. You see, that is the beauty of the grace and hospitality that we see in the gospel. That is the beauty of the gospel. That is the countercultural beauty of the grace and hospitality of Jesus, that we bring nothing to the moment. We bring nothing to the moment. We bring nothing to the meal. We bring nothing to the table. We bring nothing to our salvation, only our need. That's all that we can bring. You see, the very moment that you start thinking, look, I get why God chose someone like me instead of someone like like that, then, then you've got it all wrong. Sometimes we get more excited about how rightly we think or how well we perform than we do about how amazing God's grace is about how scandalous it is. You see, there's no point, though, in the Christian journey that you graduate from the gospel. There's no point in the Christian journey that you graduate from the good news of Jesus. There's no point that you move beyond your need for grace. The scriptures tell us that we will never tire of grace. We'll never get over it. It says that we're going to sing about it for all eternity. I love these lines from Amazing Grace when, when it says, imagines what it's like in eternity. And it says, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Remember how amazing God's grace was to you when, 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 you, when it sort of clicked? when you came to saving faith in Jesus, when the Holy Spirit opened your eyes, illumined the truths of God's words, and the gospel became beautiful to you for the first time, true to you and satisfying to you for the first time, the Bible tells us we'll only grow in our appreciation for that throughout all eternity. We'll sing of him and his grace forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And we'll never get bored singing heaven's best hits, right? We'll never get bored singing them because he's worthy. 
His grace is truly amazing. We've no less days to sing his praise than when we first begun, than when we first got saved. You see, the Bible calls Jesus the Lord Jesus Christ. It calls him the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He's the amazing one. He's the Alpha and he's the Omega, the first and the last. He makes angels sing. He's the one who makes demons tremble. His voice is the voice that not only commands the waves and the hurricanes, it's the voice that ushered the entire universe into existence. And that voice, that voice is the voice that called out to Zacchaeus, hurrying, come down, join me. It's the voice, it's the same voice that invites us, that invites us, come and follow me. Come and follow me. You see, the voice of power, the voice that created the heavens and the earth and the depths of the sea, the voice of power is also the voice of love. To all the swindlers and all the sinners, all the guys like Zacchaeus, sinners like me and like you and like our neighbors, Jesus invites, hurry, come down. Follow me, eat with me. And when Jesus told Zacchaeus, come down and let's eat together, uh, he did. Look at verse 6. He says, he, Zacchaeus, hurried and came down and received him, received Jesus joyfully. You see, this, this is grace. This is hospitality. This is the transforming grace of God. Grace gives Zacchaeus the ability to respond. It opens his eyes. It moves his heart. It changes his desires so that Zacchaeus now comes down and runs after Jesus. And after he responds to the call of Jesus, after he dines with the Lord, he's left, he's left totally changed. Look at verse 8 with me. It says, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord Jesus, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I now give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. You see, that, that right there, what he did right there, like that's, that's, that's the beauty of the Christian testimony. It's not just grace, it's transforming grace. It's grace that changes us. Like if you're a Christian here this morning, it's only because of one thing. It's only because of the pursuing grace of Jesus. You're not here because you're right or because you're amazing or because you have it all together. Like you're here because you've been called and, and beckoned and drawn and rescued by the grace and power of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only reason that you're a believer. That's the only reason you follow him. You see, the grace of Jesus in this chapter is a model for our hospitality. Zacchaeus climbed up the tree like it's undignified man, right? Like he, it says that he was a rich man and a tax collector. So this guy was probably dressed like all business, right? It's like seeing somebody in a three-piece suit walking down the street, and all of a sudden he's climbing up a tree, right? Like it'd be, be kind of this weird thing to, to witness. Like that's what Zacchaeus looked like. He climbed up a tree like this undignified man. And what does Jesus do? Jesus calls him by name. He says, Zacchaeus. Hurry, come down here. 
Jesus welcomes him and eats with him. And look, like that's all that hospitality is. It's about noticing people, especially those who go unnoticed. You see, the book of Luke is known as the, as the humanitarian gospel. It's filled with all these people in the margins that Jesus pursued. Sick and unclean women, sick and unclean men, sinners, guilty, the tired, the damaged. Like, Jesus gives special attention to all these people in Luke. He acknowledged their dignity just by noticing them. The uh, human rights activist John Perkins, he says, you don't give dignity to people. You affirm the dignity that's already in them. You see, that's what Jesus did. He saw what the grumblers couldn't see. You see, culture would tell us to only hang with people who would like get us to the next level, right? Like the kind of people who can give you something back if you, if you give them something in return. And so, like in business, there's this old adage, like if you want to fly with the eagles, then you don't hang with the turkeys. You should only spend time with people who can give you something back in return. But Jesus blows that whole idea out of the water. He flushes it down the toilet. Like when you see people as a means to an end, then they become resources to you rather than human beings made in the image of God. The entire Jericho society looked at a guy like Zacchaeus like he's scum. They would say he's a son of a, let's just say gun, all right? They would say that guy's a son of a gun. Yet Jesus says, no, this man's a son of Abraham. Look at verse 9. He says, Jesus is saying about Zacchaeus, he says, today salvation has come to this house since he, Zacchaeus, also is a son of Abraham. Do you know what a son of Abraham is? Galatians 3 verse 7 tells us, it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. You see, when, when Jesus calls Zacchaeus the son of Abraham, that was his way of saying, look, Zacchaeus, this boy belongs to me. His father is my father. He belongs to the family of faith. He's mine. He's mine. You see, Jesus shows hospitality to anyone, anywhere, in any place. So let's close by looking at the big why of hospitality. Why, why, why do we need hospitality? What is the big why? Luke 19 verse 10 says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And that's the big why. That's the big why of hospitality is because Jesus came to seek and save the lost. You see, the reason that we need hospitality is because there are lost that need to be found. There are blind that need to see. Elsewhere, Jesus says it like this. In Mark chapter 2, he says, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, like they're the ones who need the help. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. When was the last time that you, you told somebody, like, man, I think I really need to go to the doctor this week because, like, I'm just feeling amazing. 
right? Like, nobody says that. Nobody says that, and that's the point. Like, Jesus is saying, look, he came for those who are sick. Like, a doctor treats sick. Not, not healthy people, he treats sick, and Jesus is calling himself the great physician. He's saying that he came for those who are sick with sin, but the grumblers were too proud to see that. You see, they wanted a king who came for the put together like they thought they were. But they failed to see that if Jesus did not eat with sinners, then he would be eating alone. If Jesus did not eat with sinners like Zacchaeus, then he wouldn't eat with them either. If you're here this morning and, and like you, you, you're hearing this, this message of the grace of Jesus and you're just thinking, like, like, I don't know if I know the grace of Jesus that way. Like, let, let this passage be an invitation to you from Jesus that says, hurry, come down. I want to dine with you. I want to eat with you. I don't think it's any mistake that, like, God is in his sovereign care has called you to a place like this to, to encounter Jesus and be wooed by his grace and love and hospitality in a passage like this. For those of us who are already followers of Jesus, question that we should be asking ourselves is, who are the broken in your life that you're avoiding? Who are the people on the margins that you need to be with? Or I'll ask it this way, like who are the people that make you grumble? What kind of person would make you uncomfortable if they came here this morning and sat next to you? Who are the people at this church who are different than you that you need to get to know and maybe like invite into your life? Maybe they're different than you. Maybe you think like your personalities clash, but you need to invite them into your life the way that Jesus did. Who's the person on the margins that needs to get invited in? The people at work or at school that God has placed around you. Who are the neighbors you live by that God has sovereignly placed you as their neighbors, as his ambassador, but that you've never talked to? Who are the people that are so curious about Jesus that they are climbing up proverbial trees, searching for answers to life's meaning and purpose, curious about who Jesus is? And maybe your voice is the voice that Jesus wants to use to say, hey, come down, let's eat together. Let's be together. You see, as a community of Jesus, we respond knowing that we are not only saved by the message of grace, but that we are sent now into the world with the message of grace. Jesus prayed, Father, as you have sent me, I now send them. This, Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. You see, the great message of God's grace isn't, hey, Jesus is cool with everyone. Like, that's not the message of God's grace. It's Jesus came for anyone. Jesus is needed by everyone. He draws nears to those who are sick in their sins so that he can provide both the diagnosis and the cure. And that's what he does with the broken. He draws near to them. And if that's true of Jesus, then as followers of Jesus, that should also be true of us, right? That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You follow him. 
By eating with tax collectors and sinners, Jesus was honoring their dignity and inviting them into grace. It's not that they will be transformed, but it's that they can be, and that for him was enough to eat with them. You see, Christians are called to be hospitable because we first serve a hospitable God. Right? Jesus, he wooed us with his hospitality. In John 2, we see that the first miracle he performed, he provides the best wine for a party. In John chapter 6, he feeds thousands of people that are gathered at his feet. In chapter 13, he's washing the grimy feet of his disciples. In the next chapter, he says to them, he says, look, when I go up to my father, when I go up into heaven, I'm going to go to prepare a place for you. Jesus' Jesus's heart is a heart of hospitality. And when he gave us the Lord's Supper and the communion meal, like, man, what a picture of hospitality. He gave us a meal to remember him by. He gave us a meal as a sign that we have been invited to the great banquet at the end of time. John 1 says that Jesus became flesh He made his dwelling among us. He walked with us. And it says that we didn't receive him, that he was cast cast out by us. He was sent away to be crucified on a cross in our place for our sins. And in a single moment, in the darkest moment of redemptive history on the cross, he was forsaken not only by those that he came to save, but he was forsaken by his father, like literally experiencing a taste of hell. Why? So that we could be welcomed in. You see, the Lord that we follow welcomes sinners. And since we follow him, we do the same. Because Jesus called out to those on the margins, we do the same. Because he came down for us, we go out to them. And because he valued us, even when we were broken, we have the same posture towards others that he does. Amen. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church podcast. If you would like to learn more about King's Cross Church or make a donation, please visit kx.church. Here at King's Cross, we believe that worship means more than just listening to a sermon, and we encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. For Sunday morning meeting time and location for King's Cross Church, please visit kx.church. Thanks again for listening.